one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Sophie and this is She's All Fat, the podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. It's another time capsule episode, babies. I hope you're liking this bonus season we put together. I'm excited for you to hear today's release because it features a guest our patrons will be hearing a lot more from during season six. Secrets, secrets. Hi, Fat Molly. Junior producer Yelly here. Before we start, I just want to give a quick reminder that we recorded this interview back in February of this year, back before COVID and the surge of protests against police brutality. In this episode, Abby and Sophie discussed the cop comedy Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Abby and the team both thought that it would be a good idea to update the top of this episode with a little self-reflection and education from this moment. Here in October, when Black people are still being brutalized and murdered by police across the U.S., I did some research for us, and we want to shout out Kenna, who is Human Espresso on TikTok. We learned a lot about copaganda from their videos, and we'll link them in the show notes for you. Okay, first, the police as an institution had a large influence on how cops are shown as heroes in American TV and movies. They have a vested interest in looking good and infallible on screen so that the public will see them as good and infallible. Literally the first cop show as we know them today had members of the real LAPD acting in it and checking every single script. The writers would get rid of anything the LAPD didn't like. This became a template for cop shows. Police departments around the country were making deals with Hollywood to make themselves look good. That's what copaganda means. You might think a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine exists completely outside of this past. It's edgy, it's funny, one of the main characters is a black gay man, but even a diverse cast of edgy comedians can't absolve the history of the cop show and what it means to have so many empathetic depictions of cops in pop culture, but comparatively few empathetic depictions of black life. Human Espresso from TikTok says that Brooklyn Nine-Nine is no exception to the crap that police do. For example, Jake still makes arrests and pursues investigations with no evidence, all based on a gut feeling. The fact that he's right a lot of the time on the show actually reinforces the idea that it's okay when officers do this. See how it works? Human Espresso also mentions how as a show that's on right now with a big following, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has a unique opportunity where they can imagine a world where cops have been abolished and follow all of the characters in their new lives. I'm interested to see something like that. Check the show notes for resources on copaganda and police abolition, and think about what we reflected on during this app. If any members of the family have any other resources out there about copaganda, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, or anything related to the show, please send them our way. Let's learn together. ACAB. <laughs> all right, family, here's the episode. She's all fat. 
want to formally introduce you, Fatmaly, to a new friend of the pod who you're really going to get to know this season. Y'all know how I love to bounce my thoughts off another fat person. Note to self, title new segment, Bounce the Fat. So it's time to meet Abigail. Hi, Abigail. Hey, so how's it going? Good. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> what time is it where you are? Tell everyone where you are. It is 2107 because they use military time here. Oh my God. Uh, it's 9 p.m. I'm in Glasgow, Scotland. That's so cool. I've never been there, but I would like to go there at some point. Well, I now have a second bedroom, so you have a place to oh, stay. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Abigail, can you give us a brief bio of yourself from everything from like what my favorite question to ask, which is not a literal question, which is how fat are they? You know, like a game show, but like you don't actually have to say how fat you are, but just like it'll give us a little intro to you. Sure. So I am, um, I guess I, how fat am I? I guess I would probably <laughs> call myself like a little mid-fat Midwestern girl. Um, Hell yeah. I was born and raised in Rugby, North Dakota, the geographic center of North America, arguably. Oh we show that title with like four other towns. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, just now I am doing my PhD at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. I came over here for school. I stayed for school, but also for love. Um, so I'm married to a Scottish man over here and... Uh, yeah, I do my PhD on fat studies and film studies. So that's what my whole background is on. Um, I've yeah. lived a bunch of places, Chicago, Atlanta. Uh, Glasgow's my favorite, though. <laughs> um, okay, can you tell us? We're going to get deeper into this in the other episodes we're doing together. But can you do like a two-sentence overview of your fat studies work? Yeah, absolutely. My fat studies work is... Uh, I mostly look at fat relationships and tropes of fatness in American and British television. So that can be anything from looking at like the trope of the thin woman within um, and the idea that we all have this nice skinny person inside us if we just become good people. <laughs> um, and uh, it can go as far as looking at something like the relationship between like a fat daughter and a thin mother on TV. So um, like I just finished writing about This Is Us. So Dang. yeah, covers kind of a gamut yeah. from there. And how many fat studies uh PhDs are there in the world? That's a good question. Um, some people are hiding, so I couldn't give you a, a distinct number, but it's a pretty, it's a relatively small field. Um, it is one that's growing though. That, like we have our own fat studies conference that they do every few years. Cool. Uh, yeah, pretty neat. There's some, there's some definite fat studies celebrities I love <laughs> <laughs> who attend that, but I'd say, uh, when we think about it, it's a, yeah, it's pretty small. I guess like most people are like me, they mix fat studies with other disciplines. So I suppose like for every hundred PhDs, there's like a half a fat studies PhD. Oh my God. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay, so now this is just a little mini so so we're going to move on to doing an obsession. So is there anything you've been obsessed with recently? Oh, man. So there's a few things. Um, I've been playing... Uh, while procrastinating uh, writing my thesis, I've been playing a lot of Untitled Goose Game lately. Oh, my God. Yes, I have that, oh, too. <laughs> obsessed. I love that little goose. I'm not good enough at it to be obsessed with it. I keep, like, not figuring out what I'm supposed to do. And I get frustrated. Okay. That is a problem. That is definitely an issue. There's been a couple times where I got so bored because I couldn't figure out how to complete the level that I just, like, yeah. try to see how chaotic I can make it. 
and like for someone that's you know? fun so i'll like lock a lady in a garage i'll like throw a walkie-talkie at a <laughs> farmer and like take his rake and run away you know <laughs> oh my god for those who don't know untitled use game is like a game do you have it on the switch is that I have how you play PS4. it on your four okay so mm. it's like a video game where you're a goose and you're trying to like complete tasks that make life difficult for the villagers <laughs> that you live amongst honestly it stresses me out everyone loved it and i was like there's a reason that i prefer stardew valley to every other game i just want to farm and like send flowers to the people i'm wooing and that's it that's yeah, all i like, want to do i think the problem with goose game is that it sort of like it can spin you out into an existential crisis because these people yeah. seem really nice and it does seem like <laughs> maybe like i shouldn't do things like tie a young child's shoes together and steal his glasses oh my God. <laughs> you know <laughs> it's very fun it lets you be chaotic in the way that's like very controlled so it's still pretty fun yeah and it's good you um, only have three actions honk flap your wings pick something up yes so it's very simple my favorite um video game that i discovered last year is dream daddy it you can do it on your phone or somewhere else and it's like a dialogue choosing game where you're a single dad and you're wooing other single dads okay it's really good (laughs) and amazing it's incredible and it's got an amazing theme song Right? <laughs> this is like if a Sufjan Stevens song was a game theme. <laughs> okay, you get the idea. Okay, Isn't yeah. it good? Oh, what? Yeah. Truly. It's so good. <laughs> so sometimes I just get that stuck in my head now. We're just like, dream, daddy. It's so good. <laughs> Man. So good. And the show is fun, or the play is really fun. Um, the the gameplay of it. Like you just like choose which daddy you want to romance and then you do different stuff with them. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's so fun. I like post on my stories playing it, and like all of my gay male friends were like, Oh, you're playing Dream Daddy? It's like, yeah. It's awesome. Yep, I joined the party. <laughs> yep, it's so good. <laughs> Um, so that's really fun. That's my <laughs> obsession. Okay, so now I want us to pick an obsession to do a pop culture deep dive on together. So we're going to talk about Brooklyn Nine-Nine because that's a show that you really like, right? Yes. I. <laughs> it's a funny one because it's one of those shows that like, like I leave the TV on in my house so much just to have something on in the background while I'm doing things. Uh, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine started as that and then has just become something that I regularly watch on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so for people who haven't seen it before, can you give a brief overview of like the pitch of it? Yeah, totally. Synopsizing is not one of my best skills, but I'll give it a go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine follows this. Uh, it's by the makers of shows like Parks and Rec. Um, it's a workplace sitcom that follows uh, a group of office mates who are also very good friends and all intertwined in each other's lives uh, who work in a police precinct together. So that's their their captain and a bunch of police detectives, essentially. Sometimes they do police cases. Most of the time, it's about their personal lives. Yeah. Okay. So 
when did you first learn about or get interested in it? You just like had it on. (laughs) Yeah. So this was a show, actually the first time I ever watched an episode, I was helping a friend move into her apartment in Chicago. And, uh, obviously the first thing you move into an apartment is a television. So that's what we did, uh, because it's the most important item in the home as I, a television scholar, will let you all know. So yeah, I caught an episode there and I thought like, I'll never watch this program. Um, And then like two years later, they put a bunch of it on Netflix. So I thought, all right, I'll give it another shot. I was very skeptical, which I think is how you should approach every television show with a healthy dose of skepticism. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then it just turned into like, I was feeling a bit like down one day and I just ended up watching, you know, like binging a few seasons and felt so happy at the end. Cause I just love, like, I love happy people who love each other, you know? Yeah. It's all resolved. Okay. So let's apply your PhD academic work to it. Ooh. So is Brooklyn Nine-Nine good or bad for the fats? Oh. Is there something problematic about it? And there how do you is. deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. So there's a storyline about uh, Terry Crews character, also called Terry. Uh, there's a storyline about how he used to be fat and now he's really buff. Um, and it comes back all the time. So, like, there's an episode where, like, one of the characters is trying to quit smoking. And each, you know, each other character tells her a way that she might do that based on an addiction that they have. So, like, someone's like, oh, you just need to, like, I I have a gambling addiction. I deal with it this way. Like, you should deal with it this way. And Terry Crews is like, well, I have an eating addiction. And when I want to, like, you know, stop myself from, like, giving into my eating addiction, I just, like, plunge my head in a vat of ice water. And so they do that together. Which is like not my favorite, not my favorite yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't love that. <laughs> nope. I remember some some reading online that like one of the first couple episodes also has like a lot of fat jokes in it too. I don't remember specifically like what they were, but I know that like that was like one of the main things of the first couple episodes. Yeah, there's also like there's like an episode. I think it is like one of the first couple where they find a dead body. Uh, and one detective thinks it's murder, and another detective thinks that the person died because they're fat. Great. Uh, love that. Yeah. Love that. Really delightful. And the fat jokes are so funny because they're always hilarious, you know? <laughs> Can <laughs> like, we talk about, like, why? Okay. So I didn't know that, uh, I didn't watch enough of it to know that it had that trope of, like, a character who's thin on the show used to be fat, mm. which is such an, like, there's a couple shows I can think of that had that as well. And that's such an interesting way to go about it because it allows them to make fat jokes at the expense of fat people without having a fat character Mm -hmm. who you have to relate to because they like got over it or whatever yeah because it's like it's such a dehumanizing thing isn't it like if you think about like monica from friends that's like the number one example right yes and it's so that like oh well now that they're in control it's their past fat self, like, clearly yes. had all these issues, you know, and it's hilarious that they had all these problems. Yeah, I don't know. And I think that, like, in some of my work, I write about fat suits and how they, like, create a literal physical distance between the person wearing it and the camera that just, yeah. like, shields them from... And, and and I think because those fat suits look so unreal, it's, like, really easy to make fun of it because, like, thin people in fat suits look funny because they don't look like real fat people. Yes, exactly. You know, they look ridiculous. It's like a stupid costume. It's not like, like Fat Monica doesn't look like a real human being. Yeah, exactly. It's infuriating. Did you see that Gwyneth Paltrow said that doing Shallow Howl was like her 
main career regret. But then she said that because she was like, everyone was so mean to me when I had the fat suit on. It was like almost oh so close. <laughs> yeah, almost. Like, like you were almost there, babe. <laughs> like you just take it one there. step further. That's like, remember when Tyra did that segment? Yes. A hundred percent. Oh yes. my God. And, she and said, the like, same thing happened to her. Yeah. And she's like, when she's like crying in that fat suit, that like poorly fitting fat suit. And she's my like, God. I just didn't know that women had to go through this. But then she like, there's no lesson learned at the end except like... No, not at all. Wasn't it so hard for me to be fat? <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Oh. Exactly. It's like, must be nice to be able to just take it off and then go back to like, people are so nice to you. <laughs> right. I guess that's yeah. why they don't have to learn the lesson because there's no like prolonged exposure. Exactly. Okay, so talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like how do, because this is an experience we generally have, right? Like there's Mm. not really many shows that don't have some sort of subplot that involves like fat jokes or fat shaming or some in some way. So how do you deal with that when you're a fan of something and how do you like incorporate that into your understanding of the show? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, I guess it kind of depends. Like with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, there is so much of it too right? I mean, there's like seven seasons now of the show. So to some extent I can kind of like skip episodes, which I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the right way to enjoy something. If it's right to, you know, like right or wrong, I guess it doesn't. Why not? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's no right or wrong. Yeah. It, it's media. It exists. Yeah. But I think, you know, so there's things that I'll skip. I'm writing about scenes from Brooklyn Nine-Nine in my thesis. So really? yeah, I am. There's a bit where like, so like Terry, He, like, often will tell stories about being fat, like, when he was fat and all the, like, lengths he went to to get food that are just, like... Like, in one of them, he talks about, like, breaking down the door of a Sbarro that was closed, like, in Jersey to, like, get... Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so like in some ways I'm like, all right, well I can write, I can write about it. So that makes it a bit better for me personally, I suppose. My God. But yeah, I guess it's like, how do you feel? I mean, when you watch these things, like what's your level of engagement? What do you do? I mean, honestly, the main thing for me is that it can't be the central conceit of the show. Mm. I can't, you know, obviously I'm not going to watch Biggest Loser. I'm not going to watch like something like that, where the main purpose of the show is like anti-fatness. I mean, it's hard for me to watch on shows that are more serious and meaningful and well-considered like Mm. dramas, I guess. Not that writing comedy isn't well-considered, but a lot of jokes are kind uh, jokes are kind of like very of the moment. Like if you watched a comedy from the seventies, every single joke, you would be like, oh my God. And that's not because, not because of the thing where people are like, people are so sensitive now. It's just (laughs) that like what the way that comedies are more a reflection of current acceptable conversations Mm. and like that's still an acceptable conversation or way to talk about things. There's also lots of comedies that do other kinds of inappropriate jokes Mm. that like, I also don't, love, you know, like for example, a lot of comedies will still do kind of transphobic jokes and like, that's also not chill, you know? Right. Yeah. Sometimes in order to like, especially because I watch a lot of what I call trash TV, you know, Mm -hmm. like criminal minds or whatever, (laughs) then I kind of don't look at it that closely. Like if it's a comedy that I'm watching because I'm looking at it from a writing perspective or like thinking about how I want to write my pilots or I want to write my screenplay or whatever, right? then I'm not going to be okay with it. But if I'm just trying to like 
be playing a game on my phone. Like if I'm playing Best Fiends on my phone and I'm also eating some Reese's pieces and like just the TV's kind of on, like I don't want, it's not that I don't care. It's that I don't want to be bothered by it because I'm doing so much about it anyways, you know? Yeah, I I totally get that. I think that's like, you put it so brilliantly. Like I definitely feel a pretty high level of that as well. Like a willingness to just sort of let myself be because it is going into my work in some way. And because I know that like, also like I know that I'm watching something normally by myself and therefore I don't have to like defend or explain a bad joke or something. I get to like sort of let it go by and then it's, it's done. I think like I would never be like, oh, I'm going to screen a show for a bunch of my fat friends. Let's choose something. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, I think it's it's sort of context dependent, isn't it? And I'd also I'd also feel less comfortable watching it with a bunch of thin people who laughed at those jokes. Yeah, but it be more if it's just yes, but if it's just me and Victor or something, then mm-hmm. it's like I know we're on the same page and we don't need to have a conversation about it. We can just like ignore that moment and move on. Yeah. Yeah, because we're, yeah, I don't need to explain to you and you, we don't need to like figure this yes. one out. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I don't have to be like, well, actually that joke, blah, 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 because I'm like, I know he knows and he knows I know. And we yeah. just like look at each other and then the show moves on. Yeah. Like I, it really is very context dependent. Like I'm much more bothered by fat jokes in movies that I go see yeah. like in the theater than I am because that's like a much more uncomfortable experience to be in the theater watching something and have people like strangers laughing at something. Yeah. And it's quite vulnerable, right? To be a fat person in a public space and to like feel complicit in the joke then like either complicit in allowing people to laugh at it, which is not fair because you don't have a choice, but I think you, a lot of us still feel that way. Like the, the, like the desire to correct people and be unable to is really stressful, but also just the feeling that people are laughing at your body while you're sitting right there amongst them is really awful. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's different when it's just you by yourself, you know, mm. like you can choose, not choose your reaction so much, but you can choose how much attention to pay to it. Cause mm-hmm. it's much more single like focus instead of having like multiple things to navigate thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Is there a scene or a moment from Brooklyn Nine-Nine that you'd like to like have Maria play and do like a little explainer of your thoughts about? Uh, yes. Like if we wanted to do a Terry clip, there's a clip where he's like screaming at a door. Like I want my Mushu pork. You know, I never smoked, but I did once have an addiction. Boom. It got bad. You don't have clothes. It's six o'clock. I need my Mushu pork. I need my Mushu. I guess if we had lots and lots of representations of fat people, if we had like, you know, what in academia we'd say is like a multiplicity of representations, then I get, it wouldn't bother me to the extent that it bothers me. A scene yeah. like, you know, Terry screaming for his mushy pork, like would just be one kind of fat person sure. in a sea of other fat people. Obviously it would still probably be problematic, but I think it's so much worse because we the only kind of fat person we ever see is an out-of-control one, like an out-of-control person, like desperate for food, addicted to the extent that yeah. <laughs> they would do something like crash through yeah. a window in the evening. Um, yeah. Which I also think, like food addiction isn't a real thing. Right. That's not a thing. Yeah, we like eat to live. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's just, so. you know, it's a basic part of, yeah. And it is it is frustrating to constantly see it in TV, like being compared directly to like smoking. Yeah. You know, 
which we already yeah. get enough of in health campaigns anyway. Yes, definitely. Definitely. You know. Do you think that there's any way that the show could correct for that if they wanted to? I actually do think there's a couple ways. Like, I think one thing that I've appreciated that they've done is it, as far as I can remember in the last few seasons, there's been a lot less of that sort of like Terry's fat stuff, which like, as you were saying, like we can probably owe that to the fact that like comedy is so topical and body positivity or neutrality is like finally becoming a movement that thin people have just had to notice a little bit. I think it would be neat to see. There's a lot of like, so Jake, the Andy Samberg's character, the main detective, a lot of the jokes they do with his character are him responding to sort of like social inequalities and problems in kind of like throwaway comedic ways. Like, oh, right, because the system is broken, you know, and because you're held down in X or Y way. Like, so it would be kind of nice to see them have like Jake make a throwaway joke about how they're all so mean about Terry's weight, but the system is stacked against him, you know? I would love to see that. I think that would be enough acknowledgement for me, coupled obviously with like way fewer fat storylines. Yes, that'd be great. I like that. Yeah, I think it's like, it's not really about perfection for me at all. Mm. It's just, and honestly, there are, we've talked about this many times on the pod that there are some good fat jokes. It's just like the way that the, like world is right now kind of feels like they're all at our expense instead Mm -hmm. of like fun you know (laughs) right and I think it really sucks that like I mean obviously it really sucks but I think it it's very frustrating too because as someone who you know would like to do my own comedy writing more and be sort of like vulnerable in that comedy writing I would like to feel like I could make jokes about being fat without having to spend so much time creating like a context and like a framework for making those jokes like it would be nice if I could just be sort of honest and vulnerable about the experience of being fat without having to explain to people like from a base level that I'm not mad that I'm fat <laughs> like 100%. I don't hate myself you know uh, I feel that's so hard it's like hard to talk that's the 90% of the reason it's hard to talk to other people about this stuff because you're like I you know you want to make sure you're coming at it from the same place yeah just like I mean, that's true with a lot of political things. It's just like, I don't want to have to spend an hour explaining to you X, Y, and Z before we can get to the next stage. Yeah. And then I think like, I get shocked all the time, like by my friends who have somehow not noticed that my like entire Instagram persona is dedicated to reminding people that I know that I'm fat. Right. Yeah. And like posting like political, especially like fat political content and like putting things in my stories that like regularly reposting stuff in my stories that has to do with fatness and like championing other fat women and things like that. Like I sort of forget that my, some of my thin friends just still have like no concept of that even though they're interacting with me on that space all the time. Like I had a friend come to visit me not too long ago and she was like, she whipped out the you're not fat, you're beautiful on me. No. <laughs> like how long have I known you, man? <laughs> you know? Oh my God. People like, can't help themselves. They just can't. They're so afraid. <laughs> That's so much. Okay. Mm. What would be, if you think somebody wants to get into Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but you want them to avoid some of the most harmful stuff, yeah. like what would would be a good starter app for people to watch? Ooh, great question. I would say season three 
is probably one of my favorite seasons. It's funny because it's one of those things where like, it, it is a cast shift, so it's not a perfect example of what the series is usually like. But I think if you started in season three on the first episode when Bill Hader shows up and plays like the precinct's new terrible captain, that like you'd be past a lot of the junk that happens in those sort of early seasons and could like really get into some of the like fun plot lines that come along in the series. What's the reason that you like the show? There's a, there's a few. I think the first is that like, so the show is written by Mike Schur, who, as I mentioned, like wrote Parks and Rec, who wrote The Good Place, um, who worked on The Office. Um, and it very much has like that sensibility, which I like. I don't know. This is controversial, but I think there's not enough like workplace sitcoms in my life, <laughs> like easily accessible ones. I love a workplace sitcom. Like I love seeing a variety of people shoved into a room together that have to see each other every day that instead of like hating each other and wishing that they never had to see each other just become like totally entangled in one another's lives. Yeah. You know, when I'm there, it's like, I I don't know. I mean, I love television so much, so it's constantly on in my life. But I think like Brooklyn Nine-Nine is one of those shows that I put on and it's like I hung out with my friends. <laughs> yeah, know? that's very fair. Okay, cool. We'll put those links, that link to that episode on Netflix or Hulu or whatever in the show notes. And let us know what your thoughts are. Again, like there are some problematic parts of it, but uh, let me know if you ever find a TV show that doesn't have some fat jokes in it. <laughs> Would love to hear about it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, family, just wanted to hop in again and remind you all that we're having a Twitch's watch party on Friday over on the Patreon Facebook group. So if you'd like to join, go ahead and join our team Paisley Moo tier of our Patreon at $7 a month and join me, Lynn and Sophie live reacting to Twitch's. It's going to be a blast. Okay, so let's do a quick and dirty Ask a Fatty. Let's listen to this voice memo and do some advice. Oh, hi, guys. It's Hannah. So this week I'm coming to you as a thin privilege ally. Um, I'm often confronted by women asking how I maintain my body, whether through whether it's through diet or if it's through gym. And uh, reality is I'm just incredibly privileged with a high metabolism body so I can kind of do what I like and my body remains the same and I don't ever really struggle with weight um 
I'm really conflicted when this happens because I am fat positive and I um, want to tell them to love who they are and embrace who they are. But in reality, if they're coming to me asking how to get my body, they're obviously not happy with theirs. And it's probably really annoying having a thin white girl tell you to just love yourself. That's basically the equivalent of having acne and going to a girl with clear skin and having her say, oh, and I just use grapefruit face wash. So I guess I'm just coming to you asking, how can I properly be a thin ally? And how when these women come to me, how can I be supportive? Um, even though I don't necessarily understand their struggle, how can I... Um, um, dismantle diet culture and how can I tell them to love themselves without being a thin white girl about it? Yeah. I think that was a really good question. That's a great question. I what? It, I mean, what, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think first of all, I think that's like, you're not alone in that situation. I've heard this from other friends as well. And I think you're totally right that it would be annoying to hear from a thin person to just love yourself, especially if I was in that spot still where I was like, how do I become you? <laughs> but like, also I think that's where the difference between self-love and body positivity and body neutrality and body justice really comes into play. Right. Because you don't have to tell someone to have self-love. You can just be like, well, all bodies are different. This is just the way my body is made period. Yeah. You know, like I think the best thing to do, honestly, would be, in my opinion, to not get into deep conversations about, oh, like, oh, I hate, like not, not allow conversations to start where the larger person gets to go. Like, I hate myself and blah, 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 blah. Like, I wish I were like you, blah, 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 blah. Like instead realigning or redirecting the conversation into like, well, all bodies are different. And like, this is just the way my body is like, yeah, I have a really high metabolism. Like people have different levels of that. Like, man, crazy yeah. world, huh? <laughs> and just kind of like allow it to end there, I guess. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a difficult thing. I think if someone's trying to, you know, I, I agree if someone's in that position where they're feeling very insecure and trying to like seek out ways to dramatically alter their body. That's a really, that's a person who's going to want to talk to you more probably than, yeah. yeah. That's it, isn't it? It's just, it's finding that script of like, I, this, yeah, this is what I look like. This is just my body. Everybody's different. Yeah. Um, I guess, Sophie, what would you do if someone tried to press it further in that instance? I mean, I just, I, it depends what my relationship with them is. If it's like a older aunt or something like that, you know, yeah. then I would probably just try to end the conversation and turn it to something else, you know? Right. Because there's, especially with family or with people who are older than you, like by, in, in that kind of way where there's a difference in not like power exactly, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I would just be like, okay, let's talk about something else. Like bring up a subject change. If it's someone who's a friend or an equal that you're more close with, I might say something like, okay, I'm trying to imagine myself as a thin person. <laughs> what would I, I was I having say? a hard time getting in that zone. Too. I know. Um, I might say like, you know, it makes me feel kind of uncomfortable to talk about my body this way. Yeah. Or, you know, actually I'd, I'd rather not talk about my body this way. Um, can we talk about X, Y, Z instead? I think that's a beautiful redirect. And I think that most people in that instance are going to be quite receptive to that. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's a kind way to sort of redirect a conversation without directly shutting someone down as well, or seeming like you would be trying to put them down for asking the question. Yeah. yeah. 
it's kind of like how you probably won't get very far having telling somebody to be more body positive or to love themselves more just like straightforwardly. But it could have a big effect on someone if you do things like make sure that they have access to the places you go, make sure they have a chair that fits them, stand up for them. If you hear somebody talking, like making a fat joke and you can say like, hey, that's not cool. Like just like kind of showing that you're living your values about it, I think creates an environment where that person might then become more interested in that. But I always think it's fair to say like, hey, I don't really do diet talk. I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, and always okay to say, Hey, I'd like to talk about something else because it isn't like necessarily useful to be like, actually, I know what's better for you. Even if we would agree, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Because everyone's on their own journey and has to sort of discover these things for themselves. And like it just find wouldn't have helped fit. me. If somebody said that to me, I wouldn't have listened. Like no. it just would not have helped. You know, if somebody had been like, actually, why don't you just love your body? I would have been like, <laughs> like, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Like, oh yeah, I'll love my body when you can find a store where we can shop together. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, it's when I was back in dieting, I would have been like, sure, I'll love my body as soon as I find the diet that works. Totally. You know? Yeah. Right. So like, it's just not going to be effective if somebody is deep in that they have to come to it on their own. But if you make yourself a person where it's very obvious when they get there, they can come to you. I think that's really all you can do. Even though you're like, this person is saying that their body is privileged, which is true. Mm. That still doesn't make it okay to like weirdly focus on it in that way. I mean, your body is personal to you and (laughs) you should sort of just be allowed to exist in it and go about your life in it. Right. I mean, that's exactly if your ultimate goal is something along the lines of like body justice and body neutrality, that's sort of what we're hoping for anyway, isn't it? To just be able to like have spaces where people can share those spaces. Um, so I think you're totally right. Like that being an ally is, is much less about the advice you can give somebody and much more about the ways that you can just be supportive of the people that you love. Yeah. the bodies that they have, right? Totally. I think the only other thing I could think of saying would be acknowledging that you do have privilege. Mm. Like you could be like, if someone's like, I wish you're at, I had your body, then you could kind of redirect it to like, yeah, man, I know I live in a body that has a lot of societal privilege. That's kind of fucked up, huh? Anyways, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Yeah. You know, like kind of redirecting to that as well. I quite like that. And I mean, that's the a other nice person way. may not. Yeah. The other person may not like know what to do with that. Right. Which actually is maybe what you want in that scenario is it is for them not to have a ready response to something that you say. Yeah. It also is kind of a nice way to to potentially maybe direct their thinking toward, you know, the sort of social construct of that. Who knows? But you can't, you know, it's just the little totally. nudges that we get throughout our lives that direct us toward it. So totally. Yeah. Totally. Okay. I hope this Hannah um lets us know if they try some of these ideas and lets us know how it went. Thank you, Hannah, Thanks, for writing Hannah. in. And that's the end of our mini-sode. Thank you so much, Abigail. Oh, thank you so much for having me and letting me chat all things fat with you. <laughs> Can't wait to have you back. We're going to deep dive more into your academic work and do some more media analysis next time. If you have any questions for Abigail or ideas for our episodes or mini-sodes, please shoot us an email. Abigail, do you have anything else to say before we say goodbye? I'd like to sing the Dream Daddy song, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, Hell I can't yeah. remember how it goes. Dream <laughs> Daddy. It's so good. Bria, play us out with Dream Daddy. (laughs)
that's this time capsule episode producing saf in the past present and future is made possible by our beloved patrons if you join our patreon at team paisley moomoo you'll get access to our patrons only facebook group where i've been doing weekly live streams plus bonus minisodes every friday i love our patreon family and we want to give some special thanks to doro amelia mitchell sarah schultz courtney dransfield hannah de tenerowitz sophie downey ashley soroya grace ann melanie clay and jasmine roke we could not make the show without you she's all fat was created by me sophie carter khan and april k quio who graduated we are an independent production if you'd like to support the work we do you can join our patreon by visiting patreon.com she's all fat pod when you pledge to be a supporter you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023 and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yelly Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Wirtel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you. 